Welcome to Not A Christian Podcast. It's not a Christian podcast. It's a podcast that just happens to be Christian. In this podcast, we tell stories, we talk about life, faith, and pretty much anything else you can imagine. Now let's jump into it. Welcome back to the show. It's episode 33 of Not A Christian Podcast right here on Friday, May the 28th. And y'all, once this episode is wrapped up, we'll be about a third of the way to 100 episodes. More so a third of the way to 99 episodes, but I like 100 better. And then we have 34, we'll be over a third of the way. So I just thought it'd be a good time to point it out. We're a third of the way to 100. I think that's pretty cool, pretty great. Uh, It's Memorial Day weekend, so I hope you got a nice long weekend planned. Hope maybe you're taking a trip. Hope maybe you're going to spend some time with friends and family. Hope you're off work on Monday like I am. Should be a great, great weekend. I guess this is like officially probably the kickoff to summer, I guess, even though summer doesn't technically start till June 21st. I think anything after, I think Memorial Day is a great time to, to officially say like summer is here. And it is here Y'all, new computer, who dis? <laughs> so I have had a very old laptop for a while. I got my laptop in like April of 2016. So I've had it for over five years and it's just like a base model HP. So it's it's about had it. It's not completely crapped out yet, but there, there were some times when I thought like this computer might die today. But a couple of weekends ago, I got a new laptop, and this is the first time I'm recording an episode on the new laptop. I really like this computer because it doesn't take like five minutes to open programs. And used to, when I was recording an episode, it would just kind of freeze, and then a little not responding message would pop up on the screen. Sometimes it would last for like 10 seconds. Sometimes it would last for a minute, two minutes. And a couple episodes ago when I was recording, I kid you not, it just froze and had the not responding message for about 10 minutes straight. It just sat there. And sometimes it was frustrating because I would record something, it would freeze, and then when it would come back, it would like, like 30 seconds of audio would just disappear. And so I would have to redo it. That old laptop, man, it, it got me through some stuff. <laughs> uh, I, it got me all the way through grad school. I typed, I don't know how many hundreds of pages of of stuff on there did i don't know how many zoom calls when the world was shut down but but it was it was time to go and usually the way it works with like electronic devices for me so like phones laptops etc is that i will ride whatever i have all the way to the grave right i will use that thing until it just completely dies so this was one of the first times I didn't do that. Like my, my phone, I got it back in January. It, it was because my other phone that I'd had for five and a half years just didn't work anymore. It just, the screen went black, didn't want to get it repaired. It was, it was beyond time to get a new one. So now I've got a new phone and a new laptop, so I should be good to go for, for another five years until I get to, to the point where I hate them both and want a new one. So I'm excited about my new setup here also got a new tv tray so i mean the setup is just so enhanced this week don't even know what to do with myself i think you all know what's been playing through my earbuds 
over the past week. Matt Carney's new album. And I know I've talked about it a lot on the show, but I don't really care. That's an Easter egg. (laughs) So really, the way it happened, right? Last Friday when I released the show, had not yet listened to it because I... It wasn't out yet when I recorded the show. I had a lot of nerves leading up to the release of this album. You know, I had made such a big deal about it on the podcast, and I talked it up, talked it up, talked it up, like it was going to be a huge, great, wonderful album. And up until the release, I started to get a little nervous of like, what if I tell everybody how excited I am for this album and how great it's going to be? And what if it sucks? What if I hate it? What if I have to come on this show and talk about, like, guys, I didn't really actually think this was that great? Because I think it's inevitable. One day, Matt Carney is going to start digressing, right? Because in my opinion, he is just he's just been on top of his game for, like, his whole career. Every album is just fantastic. It's a masterpiece. Surely, he'll release something someday that isn't good. It's impossible to keep up greatness for so long. And so the hours leading up to it, I was like, what if I hate it? What if it's bad? What if I have to go on the show? Tell everybody like, hey guys, I made a mistake. It's not that good. Well, we're not going to have to worry about that right now because it was so worth the wait. I don't know how he keeps doing it. I don't know how album after album, he just keeps on churning out the quality of music that he does because not everybody can do that. You know, another band that, that released an album last weekend was 21 Pilots. And I've really enjoyed some 21 Pilots in the past, but I think they peaked like four albums ago on Vessel. And then their next album, Blurry Face, it was really good. Trench, I didn't care for so much. And then this last one, Scaled and Icy, I, I thought it was just bad, just, just straight up. Like they've become like a parody of themselves, um, where it's like grocery store, department store pop music. I don't know. It was just weird. Didn't like it at all really. So it's hard for an artist, once they have those great hits, those great songs, those great albums, to really keep on delivering and making it fresh and new. And Matt Carney, somehow, he releases this album, and it's like so familiar. It's like the Matt Carney I've always loved, yet it's so different in a way. And if I have to compare it to any of his past albums, like I can see all of his past albums in this album, yet it's something entirely fresh, entirely new. So I've already, you know, I've raved about Matt Carney on this show plenty of times, so I'm not going to do it again. But if you want to go check out his new album, go ahead and do that. My favorite song off the album is probably Pontiac, but some of the other good songs that I would recommend checking out, Grand Canyon, Stuck in the Moment, Blame, I don't really care, Powerless. You really can't go wrong choosing any song on that album. Absolutely phenomenal. I love it. It's been the soundtrack of my life for the past week. In fact, when I drove back from DFW, it was like a seven, eight hour trip. I didn't listen to anything else the whole trip. I just listened to that album over and over and over again because I love it so much. Go check it out. And since it's Memorial Day weekend, I thought it was very appropriate to point out that since, you know, that's often a time where you're outside doing stuff, Maybe you're cooking out, not barbecuing. Barbecue is not a verb. Barbecue is a noun. Barbecue is a type of meat that you eat. It's not something you do. Anyways, you're cooking burgers, maybe some hot dogs. But today, Friday, May the 28th, is actually National Burger Day. I was wondering, you know, why are burgers so good? Why are they such a well-respected food in our world? I mean, you're really not going to go out and meet too many people that say, yeah, I don't really like burgers. 
It's like, it just doesn't happen. So why are they so good? And the reason I think they're so good is because they are incredibly customizable, right? You can make it however you want. You can go the traditional route. You can do, you can switch it up a little bit, like, uh, put some mushroom Swiss on there, completely different from the normal burger experience, but still excellent. You've got like a patty melt situation you can go with. You can put a fried egg on there for crying out loud. You can customize a burger any way you want. But sometimes you just can't beat the classics, right? Just the traditional. So I, I polled you guys the other day on social media and I asked, what is the best burger condiment? And your options were ketchup, mustard, and mayonnaise. And you guys, what the crap? What? Ketchup got 57% of the vote. Mayonnaise got 26%. Mustard got 17%. Ketchup, 57% of the vote. Really? <laughs> really, you guys? And mustard, only 17 I'm a mustard person. 17% of the vote. That's all it got. I just want to point out, just because it's popular doesn't mean it's right. Okay? The Bible says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. So I'm just going to point out, right? So if, if you guys, the, the listeners of the show, the friends of the show, the people that vote on things on social media, if you guys like were a conglomerate of like one person, if we combined you all into one person and we were in a like romantic or even like a friend relationship, I think we might have to break up because we don't really agree on anything ever. <laughs> Every time I post a poll, I feel like I'm just disappointed in the results. Uh, and we're not breaking up because of ketchup. We're not breaking up because of candy corn. Or the fact that you guys put So Will I in the championship matchup of the Not A Christian Podcast March Madness Worship Edition Tournament. It's not the fact that you guys hate my opinion on cold weather. It's, it's a combination of all of those things, right? So thankfully, we're not in that kind of relationship. You're just a friend of the show, a listener of the show, and even though you guys disagree with me on everything, you guys still listen, so thank you very much, but ketchup on a burger, really? This might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. How dare you? How dare you? That's, that's all I can say about it. Like, let, me, let me just systematically like deconstruct every argument there is for putting ketchup on a burger, because that's what the internet is for. That's what social media entertainment, that's what podcasts, that, that's what we're here for. I'm here to tell you how you are living your life wrong. And let me assure you, just because something is popular doesn't mean it's right. Okay, scientifically speaking. So this isn't me. This is science. This is 21st century science. Actually, I don't know that. But there were several sources that I read that said the sweetness of ketchup clashes with the savoriness and the fat content of beef. So... It really doesn't go well with a burger as things like mustard or even mayonnaise. I'm not a mayonnaise on a burger guy. I think that's pretty weird. But I would take that a thousand times over before I put ketchup on my burger. In one tablespoon of ketchup, which is a pretty small amount considering I've seen some of you people putting ketchup on your burgers and you're just slathering it on there. But per tablespoon of ketchup, there is four grams of sugar. An Oreo has three and a half grams of sugar. So if you put a tablespoon of ketchup on your burger, you might as well be putting an Oreo on it. So you know what? Let, let me just make that assertion that if you're putting ketchup on a burger, just stop and put an Oreo on there instead. 
yeah, it's a little weird, but at least it's imaginative. At least it's showing some creativity and spark and inspiration, and it's not ketchup. You're not afraid to be a little different if you're putting an Oreo on a burger. But ketchup, it's apparently the thing that most people like, that 57% of you say it's the best burger condiment. So while the sweetness of ketchup clashes and and dulls down the the flavor of beef, mustard has this certain acidity that brings that flavor out. And you might say, but Kyle, the most popular burger restaurants in the world, like McDonald's and Burger King, have ketchup as the default condiment on their burgers. Well, guess what? First of all, if you're using McDonald's and Burger King as your standard for how a good burger should be made, then you have some very obvious and serious flaws in your judgment. Okay, fast food chains that know what they're doing, like Whataburger, on their menu, they say like, our burgers come with mustard or mayonnaise. And when you order, you say, I want a number one, whichever, they, mustard or mayo. And if you want ketchup, you have to specifically request it because it's, it's, it's not normal. They know what's up. Whataburger knows what's up. But also, guess what, losers? Ketchup. It wasn't introduced on the American burger until the 1940s or 1950s, and it was popularized by fast food chains who were trying to get children interested in eating burgers. That is right. There was no ketchup on burgers for a long time. And the thing is, nobody really knows when or where the burger was invented exactly, but we do know this, that originally there was no ketchup involved. That was a ploy to get children to eat burgers. So you were basically tricked into thinking ketchup belongs on a burger, just like you were tricked and duped into thinking you like green bean casserole by the Campbell Soup Company, right? Because we all know that story back on the Thanksgiving episode. I'm not going to tell it again, but this is a, a, a conspiracy of parallel proportions. The, the fact that so many people eat burgers with ketchup, it's disgusting. So, and, and, and here's the thing, if you don't, if you want the tomato component of a burger, I don't know, maybe act like an adult and put an actual slice of tomato on there. And, okay, here's, here's where we really get going, right? If you're a person who doesn't even eat vegetables on your burger, if you just get it with like cheese and ketchup, don't even tell me, right? Don't even tell me you have the slightest idea of, of what good food is, okay? Like, you're, if you do that, you're a child. If you don't put vegetables, oh my gosh, I hate that we're even talking about this. So, and, and don't even get me, do not, do not even get me started on dippers. If you are dipping your burger in anything, once again, you are a child. You have no right to tell me what belongs on a burger and what doesn't. Ketchup only belongs on, I'd say only on fried things. So fries, tater tots, onion rings, perfectly acceptable. I enjoy ketchup on those things. If a, if a food has beef or pork in it, ketchup does not belong on that thing. The only meat you should be eating ketchup with is some forms of breaded chicken. So like chicken strips or nuggets. And really that it, that, that's it. It doesn't belong on your steak or your eggs either. So just get that out of your head. In fact... In fact, the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, it exists, go Google it, has stated that the use of ketchup on your hot dog after age 18 is unacceptable. I think we should just carry that logic over to burgers as well. Because I don't think there was a National Burger Association or Council 
just like there is one for hot dogs and sausage. But I think the the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council would agree with me on this. Just like it's it's a childish thing to put ketchup on a hot dog, it's a childish thing to put ketchup on a burger. And and the thing is, they say after the age of 18, but I think if you're doing it as a kid, if you're putting ketchup on a burger as a teenager, that's a sign that you're probably going to do it in the future. And it's a sign of bad parenting, really, that that a kid, like a kid, like, yeah, they, they don't know better, but the only reason they're putting ketchup on a burger is because their parents allowed it in the first place. If I ever have a kid that puts ketchup on a burger, that's grounds for putting them up for adoption, right? So when I was a kid... I don't think those boundaries were in place. You know, I never chose to put ketchup on a burger. I might have tried it once or twice and recognized that it was disgusting. Uh, My parents are not ketchup on burger people, but I feel like I had the freedom to do it to where like if I had decided like this is the the life that I want to live as a ketchup on a burger kind of a person, I think I had the freedom to do so. And if that's the case, I will soon have a heart to heart conversation with my parents about why did they raise me like that? Why did they raise me with the freedom to do that? You know, y'all didn't let me play in the street. Y'all didn't let me smoke crack or get in strangers' cars. Then why did I have the freedom to put ketchup on a burger? It's disturbing to think about how I could have turned out, what my life could have become if just maybe one day when I was like four years old, I made that decision, put ketchup on the burger, and nothing would ever be the same. Could have ruined my life at such a young age. Just to give you a little roadmap of where we're going, first, going to answer a question that I've been thinking about of, is my life really all that interesting? And then to wrap up the show, going to take a little walk down memory lane since it's Memorial Day. Summer is officially starting up. I used to work as a lifeguard, and I've got a few stories that I'd like to tell from those days. You don't want to miss any of it right here on Not A Christian Podcast. Let's go ahead and jump into that first segment. So this segment is actually inspired by a message I got the other day. Uh, Whenever I posted the story that I told last week on the show uh, about the two guys in the back of the truck on I-30 that were going like 75 miles an hour down the highway, just just a funny situation, Uh, go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. But I got a message from a friend. And she said, in response to that occurrence, and she said, I feel like these experiences only happen to you, LOL. And I consider one of my biggest, like, social strengths, I guess you could call it, is the fact that, that I'm a storyteller. And that's been kind of a, a conditioned thing, I think, as far as, like, my vocation and just my sense of humor. Uh, I haven't always really been great at telling stories, but I think that's really developed over these past few years. And because I'm a storyteller, that's kind of the way I interpret things. Like when I see something happen, I'm just like, okay, who can I tell about this later? How can I tell it? How can I, you know, what are the details in this that are really funny? What, what, emo- what thoughts does this conjure up in my head? What emotions does it conjure up in my head? And how can I best share that with other people? And it's funny because uh, she said that I feel like things like this, these experiences only happen to you. And as it was happening, I was thinking, okay, these are the experiences that don't happen enough in my life. Because like I said, I'm a storyteller. I love it when, when funny or interesting or out of the ordinary things happen because I can start to think of ways like, okay, how can I, how can I tell this story? 
how can I bring joy and entertainment to other people through this occurrence? And honestly, things like that, in my perception, don't seem to happen to me often enough. Where I wish a lot of times that, you know, I would I would see and, and hear crazy things every day. So I could so I could tell those stories, whether it be on social media or in person or on the podcast or whichever. Uh, in fact, I've got some really, really great stories in the chamber that I've thought about telling on the show. Some things that have happened in the past that, that I haven't are yet articulated. And uh, the thing is, some of those stories, I don't know if I'll ever tell on the show. Uh, just because it's like they're about people. It's, it's painting other people in a not-so-positive light. Like, it's a really funny story, but it would be at the expense of someone else, I suppose. And they very well... And it very well may get back to those people. Uh, but I do have some other stories who that that aren't so much like that, but I'm saving them so I can like spread them out throughout the duration of Not a Christian Podcast. You know, back in episode one, I told the story about what happened to me and my friends after we decided to uh, break the law after a Christian concert. In episode two, I told the, the story of the unexpected surprise that me and my buddies got outside of our apartment door. And then I realized, like, hey, I need to slow down on the stories because I'm going to run out of stories eventually if I keep on telling them. So so I'm a storyteller. That's just kind of the humor that I enjoy. Uh, I enjoy a good story with, like, buildup and suspense and kind of one punchline uh, more so than I do, like, more maybe like a stand-up comedy routine where it's just joke after joke after joke. So, so when these things happen to me, I feel like I have the ability to really embellish them or the, the ability to really kind of bring out what are the details that makes this funny. I can kind of draw out a story in a way that creates suspense, in a way that, that kind of articulates like, okay, what went on in my head that made this so funny? And, and I'm going to communicate it in that same way to other people to where hopefully it would make it funny to them as well. So I have the ability, and once again, it's a, it's a grown ability, kind of a, a cultivated and nurtured ability to embellish stories. And when I say embellish, I don't mean I lie or make up details, but to really harp on some of the details that may seem less important, but in the end, they're, they're what makes a great story. So, but let me tell you what about, you know, just for instance, that story, you know, the story of the, the guys in the back of the truck that were, you know, going down the highway. I thought it was really funny. A lot of you guys did too. Let me tell you some of the details that you may not necessarily see at first. Uh, it was at a tail end of an eight-hour road trip, right? So in order to get to that point where I saw something, some story worth telling, it took eight hours, right? I was tired of driving. So anything out of the ordinary at that point was incredibly exciting to me. Because what I did on that road trip was I listened to like podcasts, audiobooks, music, uh, went through like Midland, Odessa. So, you know, <laughs> gag me with a spoon, right? So I had to travel 450 miles from where I live in order to find one story that was worthwhile to tell. And so that's, so that's what you don't see. You don't see like the minutia of every day, what led up to that story. What you see is the story in and of itself. I've created this medium, this podcast for, well, I didn't create like podcasting. I created this specific podcast for a reason. And a lot of times this show is my only means to verbally process through things. 
So whether it's what I'm learning theologically or whether it's telling funny stories about stuff that's happened, whether it's sharing my strong opinion on things like ketchup, candy corn, cold weather, whichever, a lot of times this is my only place to do that. For instance, today, I have had no meaningful face-to-face interaction with another person. And I'm not saying that to be like, oh, you should feel sorry for me. I'm so lonely. No, uh, but that's just kind of the nature of, of the time of year, especially right now, because in, during the school year, that rarely happens when I have students on campus. But right now, there's no students. So I went into the BSM today, got some stuff done that I need to get done, and nope, not really interacted a whole lot with other people. So th- today, when I'm recording this episode... This is my way of kind of like verbally processing what's going on. And this inspired me to ask on social media that that message I got saying, I feel like these kind of experiences only happen to you. You know, that that friend that, that said that there's only things that happen to me. And really, I don't think that's the case. I know that's not the case. I just have the ability to like pass them on, the desire to pass them on. So I asked the question, how interesting slash exciting do you think your life is and why? And then I ask another question, how interesting slash exciting do you think my life is and why? And the, the results were incredibly interesting. So let's focus on how you guys thought your life was. Uh, how exciting slash interesting is your life? And the way the voting played out, it was like it created a perfect bell curve. So the, the choices were I, on a scale of one to 10, I feel like my life is a one to two. There's a three to five, a six to eight, and then a nine to a 10. 20% of you said your life excitement level is a one to a two. And 20% of you also said your excitement level was a nine to a 10. Three to five and six to eight each got 30%. So it broke down incredibly evenly. So where neither... No one answer emerged as the winner, but 30% of you said you were in the 3 to 5 range as far as excitement. 30% of you said you were in the 6 to 8 range. And I asked, like, why is this? Why did you rank your life that level of excitement? I had one person answer uh, 1 to 2 because I do nothing all day every day. (laughs) So fair enough. As far as three to five goes, one of the responses was, I thrive on consistency and excitement is scary. So that's that's fair enough. I totally get that. You know, if, if you're a person that likes structure, that likes things to be normal, uh, consistent, then yeah, I can understand why you wouldn't associate excitement as like a positive thing. Uh, another answer was uh, six to eight because I go to the hospital on average five times a year. So I guess that's kind of excitement in in a different way. And then some people answered their lives were nine to ten. And one answer was because I know Kyle. Well, thank you so much. And college ministry is never boring. Uh, so I do I do agree with that. That does make for an exciting life. Um, and then, of course, of course, of course, I had somebody say this. My life is a nine to ten. And in the why section, they just answered Jesus. So yeah, okay, we get it. You're a super Christian. Thank you for that. But anyway, spirit of not a Christian podcast, I guess. (laughs) And then, and then when I asked the question, how interesting slash exciting do you think my life is? The answers were much different. So instead of being a bell curve, they were just like the, the, the further up the interest level went, the more votes it got. So the one to two range only got 3% of the vote. Uh, 
that 3% of you think my life is a one to two level type of excitement. 16% of you said three to five level of excitement. 30% of you said the excitement level of my life, you perceived it to be on a six to eight. And then 51% of you said that you perceived my life to be a nine or a 10 on the excitement slash interesting level. And when, when I asked, you know, why, okay, why do you think my life is that way? Uh, well, only one person named, one person named Philip answered a one to two, and he didn't give a reason why. So it's, it's nice to know what you think of me, Philip. I don't know you in real life, but okay, it is what it is. As far as the three to five range, <laughs> uh, some pretty, pretty interesting answers here. Uh, one person says, I always expect that Insta influencers are, <laughs> are kind of boring in real life. <laughs> And it's, it's funny because I've joked before that I'm a self-proclaimed social media influencer, but you heard it right here on this person that I don't know personally, and I'm not even sure if they listen to the show, but they consider me to be an Instagram influencer. <laughs> Let me just, I don't make any money on Instagram, so I, I don't think I am. Uh, but, but anyway, that's why that person answered three to five because Instagram influencers, while everything looks all rosy on the outside... Uh, tend to live kind of boring in real life. So, so fair enough. Another person said three to five because I feel like that range is normal. And I think that's pretty spot on. And one more response in the three to five range, the answer was simply Alpine. And uh, yeah, let me tell you. Moving on to the six to eight range. One, one response was, you have an awesome job and you love what you do. You're living out God's will for you. And then another pretty astute response for the reason why this person voted six to eight, because it's hard to maintain a nine to 10 excitement level. And once again, totally agree with that. And then finally, the 51% of you that said my life excitement is a nine to 10. Some of the answers were one, you're always traveling, uh, which is true, kind of, but when, when you live in the middle of nowhere, you kind of have to travel to do anything. So and it's not so much by choice, but rather by just because it's what I have to do. Another answer was you seem like a pretty adventurous guy. I agree with that. I do like camping, hiking. Um, so yeah, maybe. Uh, another answer was uh, podcasting because there's endless possibilities. So I mean, I guess if if you think just having a podcast is the pinnacle of excitement in life, then I guess my life is a nine to a ten. Uh, and then finally, the person that said that their life was a 9 to a 10 because of Jesus also said my life was a 9 to 10 because of Jesus. So, wow. Yeah, super Christian up in here. So so that, that that's how the numbers broke down to where 80% of you thought my life was at least a 6 on the excitement level, uh, while 50% of you thought your own lives were at least a 6. And while 20% of you said your life was a 1 to 2 on the excitement level, only 3% of you said that my life was a one to two. So the question is, on a scale of one to 10, how exciting is my life? And, and it's not a surprise that we always think that other people's lives are more interesting than our own, right? Because let's think about what, what, what do people choose to put on social media? And of course, you do have the people who uh, use social media as like a diary to complain about like how tired they are, 
how much they hate their job, how much they hate their school, how miserable they are. And that's that's a pretty good indication that that person's life isn't interesting or exciting at all because the only thing they can focus on is the negative. And if there's so much negative that exists, then there's a pretty pretty good chance that the positive does not exist. But but with that exception, what most people do on social media is they try to paint the a, a really inflated, I guess, picture of their own life. They give you the highlight and they just kind of leave out the negative parts or the boring parts even. When I put stuff on social media, especially like on, you know, related to the podcast, the podcast isn't me trying to paint an inaccurate picture of what my life is like. Uh, Really what I want this podcast to be is what would it be like to sit down and have a conversation with me? And I think we do a pretty good job of that because that's really what the show is. It's just whatever I feel like talking about in a given week, whatever whatever I've been thinking about, that's kind of what makes it onto the show. And because, I don't know, maybe I have an above average ability to communicate that um, in a meaningful way, in an entertaining way, in a thought-provoking way, maybe that comes across as like, hey, my life is more interesting than yours or more exciting than yours where I don't think that's the case at all. And so when I think about like, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how exciting is my life? Well, a lot of you pointed out in the nine to 10 that, you know, some of you pointed out in the higher end of the scale, the reason why you you voted that my life was there was, you know, because, you know, I, I am a Christian, I'm a minister and yeah, that, definitely adds an element of excitement to my life. And and I know that's not where everybody's passions are, so you may be incredibly passionate about like Christianity, about your relationship with the Lord and sharing that with other people, but you're not in vocational ministry for whatever reason. Maybe you're not gifted for it. Maybe that's just not what God is calling you to do. And that does, you know, create excitement in my life, but a vocation, a job isn't everything. So if I look at my life outside of my job, right? Even if you're a minister, that's not what your life is completely about, right? Because I'm a person before I'm a minister. I am a Christian and a follower of Jesus before I'm a minister, right? Those things aren't, I mean, those things are definitely, you know, overlapping, but they're not completely one thing, right? If I was no longer in ministry, I would still be a Christian. I would still have the opportunity to follow Jesus even if I wasn't in ministry, so, so if I separate myself from my vocation, right, from my job, how exciting is my life? Let me tell you about what I did yesterday. I woke up at like 7.30, just like most red-blooded Americans, got up, took a shower, uh, went into work, did some stuff in my office, came home for lunch, hung out for a bit, watched an episode of Alone, one of my new favorite TV shows, went back to work, came home, put on a record, January Flower by Matt Carney, of course, and then watched a little more TV, ate dinner, decided to go for a walk in the park, came home, read a little bit, went to bed, and that was it, right? Not the most exciting life. Like I said, I travel a lot, but a lot of times it's out of necessity rather than desire, Uh, I go on a lot of camping trips, hiking trips, but once again, I just do that kind of as a hobby and it's not the norm. It's an exception to the norm. So while it seems like maybe even like going once a month is a lot, that's not really what defines my life. So 
really, I guess if I would put my life on like a 1 to 10 scale on how exciting it is, it wouldn't be a 9 to 10. It might be on the lower end of the 6 to 8 range. It might be a 6, but most days I probably feel like I'm about a 4. <laughs> and I'm not saying that to be like depressing uh, because if if I had those sorts of, of issues or problems, um, I wouldn't be, you know, broadcasting them to the world. So don't think like, oh gosh, Kyle needs help. This is his cry for help. No, it's, it's fine. Everything's okay. But really, like, I'm a single guy. I live in a town with really no one my own age. I live in a town with zero, pretty much zero dating prospects. I live in a town where there's nothing to do. And you have to drive two and a half hours to get to a town that even has a little bit to do. And that's Odessa, so like, why in the world would you want to do that? So a lot of my time is spent alone. A lot of my time is spent, you know, watching TV, reading books, going for five-mile walks because that's really all there is to do. And and I really love podcasting because I get to learn about new things to try to pass on to other people. I get to recall stories to pass on to other people. So I, you know, I enjoy, you know, I do have some some aspects of my life that are enjoyable, but really nobody nobody lives in the 9 to 10 range, I don't think. And maybe if you have like a really robust social life, I think college is probably the only time you might always live in like that 8, 9, 10 range. It's, that's been the case for me at least. <laughs> you know, you have a lot of friends, you have a lot of free time, uh, but it, it's hard to maintain that 9 to 10. 6 to 8, I feel like that's pretty good. But like I said, most of the time, I feel like I'm at about a 4. Not saying that's necessarily even a bad thing, but that's just where I am. So thanks for listening to this segment. Maybe that gave you some perspective on, you know, maybe if you voted you were like a one or a two or a three, maybe your life isn't all that boring because I'm, I'm a four. And I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of, right? I'm out here just, you know, living in obedience to the Lord and living in obedience to the Lord leads me to a four on an excitement level. Then I guess I'm okay with that for now. So let's go ahead and move on to the last segment. All right, to wrap up the show today, as promised, summer is here. That means you can swim or fish. Well, I guess you can fish all times of year. Uh, but just, just summer stuff starting to open up. I think it's super exciting. And I worked as a lifeguard for, for five summers. And as I pointed out on the first episode of the show, that was kind of my first foray into being an entertainer on social media. Because I did my Instagram Life of the Lifeguard series. So if you go on my Instagram and you scroll all the way back to like the summer of 2013 and the summer of 2014, you can see those. Uh, So my Life of a Lifeguard series, the first season in 2013, I believe it was Things Lifeguards Never Say, where I would just make a 15-second Instagram video because that's the longest you could do with like three or four phrases that you never hear a lifeguard say. And then the next summer, it was my last summer uh, as a lifeguard, and the series that year was, oh, I believe it was, it was Lifeguard Confessions. That's what it was. Um, so I just confessed some honest thoughts that, that ran through my head since when I was lifeguarding. And because I was a lifeguard for so long, towards the end of my tenure, so like 2014, I became like the angry, bitter lifeguard. So like there was some real honest stuff on those 
uh, lifeguard confession videos, but they were also funny. And, and so, so at the end of my time as a lifeguard, I became the lifeguard that none of the kids liked because I actually enforced the rules. I actually would like make kids sit out for doing stuff <laughs> that they weren't supposed to do. Uh, but I do have, I do have a few stories that I'm going to tell today. And let me just tell you a few of the lifeguard stories. I, I couldn't tell on this show because some, uh, you know, just, it would not be appropriate. It would not be becoming for me to share them on the show. Uh, maybe I could tell you those in real life sometime if, you know, I'm comfortable with you. But I, there was a few stories. Uh, so when I was, I first became a lifeguard when I was 17. And a part of becoming a lifeguard is that you have to do lifeguard class, which is you have to do like a skills test. So you have to like go swim to the bottom, pick up a brick and get it out. You have to practice putting people on these backboards for if they have like neck or back injuries. Uh, but But the big one is you have to swim a predetermined amount. And it used to be 300, or I think my, maybe now it's 300 yards, but when I did the lifeguard test when I was 17, it was you had to swim 500 yards, which you may not think that's very far. Like you could run 500 yards pretty easily or jog, but swimming 500 yards, it's a little more difficult. And so when I was 17, you know, I lived in Comanche and lifeguard training class was in Stephenville. So one morning I get up, and this thing starts at like probably 7 or 8 in the morning. So I get up early. I go to Stephenville. I stop by a McDonald's and get breakfast. That was a mistake because when I was swimming the 500 yards, I remember I was going along probably about 150, 200 yards into this thing, and I start feeling that McDonald's, and it's fighting to come back up. <laughs> it is coming back with a vengeance. And every time I would get to like the end of like the 50-yard pool and have to turn around, I would contemplate like I'm probably going to have to get out of here and throw up at some point because I was feeling sick. And it was running through my head like I wonder if that would be like grounds to fail me. You know, what if I just hop out of the pool real quick, run over to the trash can because there was a trash can there. I could have made it to it. I was like, would that have been enough to fail me? Like he threw up in the middle of the test. And I had every intention of like getting out, throwing up, and just getting back in the pool and continuing my my laps I was swimming. But fortunately, I was able to keep it down, never had to get out of the pool, never had to deal with that. Uh, another time when I was uh, working at the pool, actually, there was this kid, and he was in the office of the pool, like where the kids check in and everything, and he was like showing off his iPhone that he had just gotten. This kid was probably like 10 and he was showing off the case that was supposedly waterproof. And he was telling his friends, like, yeah, I could take this in the pool with me. And that's exactly what he did. He took it in the pool with him. And then I remember during a break, I, went, I looked over and this kid was showing his friends how he could dip his uh, phone in the kiddie pool. And it was f completely fine. And then, <laughs> and then at the end of the day, he comes walking into the office with the phone in one hand and his case in the other hand, he was like, hey, do y'all have any rice? You know, because if you if you soak a wet phone in rice, it supposedly like absorbs the water. And we're like, no, man, we don't. And this kid, he was so confident in that phone case, but it it didn't work out for him. Another time, there was this one kid who would, who would come fairly regularly with his mom. And, and this kid, like I'm not making fun of him, but he was, you know, he had some some mental disabilities and that's not that's not what the story is about <laughs> but one day when he he walked into the the pool into the office <laughs> I was the one sitting at the counter you know taking money and he just looks me dead in the eye and he said hey old man <laughs> and keep in mind I'm like 19 or 20 years old at this time probably 
So he's like, hey, old man, you want to get punched in the nose? <laughs> and like, I was just, <laughs> I genuinely didn't know how to react. I just sat there like dumbfounded, uh, just staring at this kid. I was just like, uh, no. <laughs> and then his mom walks in. She's like, I don't remember his name. She's like, stop saying that to people. Apparently he was on a kick right then where he was like, just always threatening to punch people for some reason. <laughs> so. So that's just another another story that happened when I was a lifeguard. But when I think of lifeguarding stories, there is there is one story from my lifeguarding days that is the cream of the crop. It is the pinnacle of my lifeguarding experience. It is the story of all stories. Maybe maybe in my entire repertoire of stories that I have in my brain related to anything. This might be the greatest story I have. So I might just be putting all my cards out on the table and saying like, hey, as far as stories go, today is the peak of the podcast, right? It, it's, it's all downhill from here. But I'm going to share that story today. But in order to do that story properly, I have to take you all the way back to my elementary school days. Me and my friend Kel, both of our moms taught second grade. And because of that, we always stayed after school and while our moms, you know, did work in their classroom and whatnot. So on a normal day, me and Kale would just go out on the playground and do our thing. Because there were so many rules on the playground when we were kids, you know, you can't climb up the slide. You can't walk on top of the monkey bars. That's what we did after school because there was no one watching us, no one to tell us not to do it. But that, that's beside the point. We would always, you know, we, we were the consistent ones on the playground. You know, we were out there every single day and some other days of the week, like some other teachers, kids would come out there and, you know, they would hang out with us. We'd hang out with them, whichever. But we were, we were consistently out there pretty much every single day. So kids would come, kids would go, but we were the ones that we, like, we ran that playground basically. Like that was our kingdom. <laughs> that was our after school kingdom. One day this kid comes up on his bike and, and through, we were probably in like third, fourth grade at the time. And he was a little different, right? He rolled up on his bike and he was very like aggressive, kind of, or maybe not aggressive, but just very intense, right? In, in the way he interacted, in the way that he would try to join in on what we were doing. And it got to the point where he was, he was incredibly annoying, but we also just felt uncomfortable with him being there. Like, almost we were threatened. Like, we couldn't tell you why we were threatened. But we, we got to the point where we didn't want to be there when he was there. So we would see this kid named Joe coming up on his bike. And we would, we would book it back inside the school building. We would get out of there. And then, so, so this kid was different. And, and I forget what all he did. But his actions merited me and my friend Kale in third grade or fourth grade, whenever it was, to give this kid the name Crazy Joe. We didn't call him that to his face, but that's just kind of what we called him among each other. When we would tell our friends about him, his name was Crazy Joe. And he was probably like two years older than us. So Crazy Joe disappears out of our lives. We don't see him, hear from him for years. And then in the summer of 2009, it was the year before I became a lifeguard. My sister was a lifeguard that year. She comes home one day. She's like, hey, have you ever heard of a guy around town named Crazy Joe? 
And I'm just like, wait, what? Describe this kid to me. And she did. I'm like, oh, yeah. not. I haven't just heard of Crazy Joe. I gave him that name. <laughs> so, so she proceeds to tell me this story about when she was working at the pool in the summer of 2009. And this is like seven, eight years after. You know, we get we give him the name Crazy Joe. We we hadn't seen him in that long too. So the fact that Crazy Joe is reemerging from the depths of wherever he went is incredible. But basically, what happened with Crazy Joe at the pool that day before I worked there was that he got mad at some kids. And at this point, he was like probably 18 years old. He got mad at some younger kids and started like hitting them with goggles, like and threatening them. So of course, since he was hitting other kids, he got kicked out. And then, like I said earlier, this dude was a little strange. As he's being escorted out of the pool, he's saying, oh, I'm going to come back here with my candles and dust, and I'm going to put a spell on everybody in this place. <laughs> and the manager of the pool was just like, no, you're not. <laughs> you need to leave. So he leaves. He comes back later on his bike, and he posts up outside the fence, pulls out a Bible, and starts screaming verses at kids, the kids that made him mad. So at this point, you're just like, okay, dad, this dude is full-on insane. So they, they call the cops this time. The cops come and just chase him off. You know, it's Crazy Joe just up to his normal shenanigans again. So J Crazy Joe is, is not allowed back in the pool in the summer of 2009. Fast forward to the summer of 2010, my first year as a lifeguard. You know, we're, we're in there. You know, I'm in the office one day. And it's, it's very close to the beginning of summer. And, you know, we're just hoping that Crazy Joe comes back. I want to be reunited with this long-lost friend named Crazy Joe. One day, he walks in. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's getting real. Let me tell you a little bit more about Crazy Joe. He had, like, a little, like a, like a gang almost of, like, kids that followed him around. Like, it was super weird. Like, on their bikes around town. Crazy Joe was probably, like, at this point, couple years older than me, 19, maybe 20 years old. And he had like a group of teenagers that he would hang out with. And they would like ride their bikes around town and go around and do stuff. Uh, somehow he got a lot of money and he would buy his, he would like basically bribe those kids to be his friends with pizza. And so he would bring pizza to the pool and it was only for like his exclusive little group of friends. So that was odd. One day he was at the snack machine and before he had been telling us that he was a druid, which is like a weird kind of like religion. Like, I don't really know what goes into it. You can Google if you want druid. Uh, but then he would tell us that he had the ability to make plants grow, like with his mind. And he told us that he could channel his thoughts and his energy into like grass and make it grow. So we we're just like, oh, okay. And then he went to the snack machine, put some quarters in, and his snack gets stuck. And he's like, hey, is there any way that you guys can can get that open so I can get my snack out. And I said, <laughs> I was like, well, why don't you just channel it out? <laughs> and oh man, the death glare, the death glare that that kid gave me. That <laughs> He did not find that funny, <laughs> but I did. But like I said, crazy joke, he got money somehow, like a lot of money for someone of his age and his state of mind. He told us he was a video game tester, but I think... It was like disability, honestly. But he would come to the pool. Okay, here's where the story, here's, you know, those, those things I've told you previously, that's all backstory. That's what's leading up to this moment. He would come to the pool with, I kid you not, hundreds of dollars 
worth of quarters. Like you'd go, I guess, went to the bank and just got roll upon roll upon roll of quarters. And what he would do is that he would just get a whole handful of them. Not like he would take them out of the rolls, get a handful of quarters, and just throw them in the pool for all the kids to go and get. It was the most bizarre thing in the world. And I was 17 at the time, so when I look on it in hindsight as an adult, also one of the creepiest things in the world. This this 19, 20-year-old dude is up, and there's these kids basically like eating out of the palm of his hand, right? So he would take like... Two, like $100, $200 a day worth of quarters and just throw them in the pool for all the kids to get. And like the thing, he was, he was like the Pied Piper. Like these kids would just follow him around at the pool all day. Wait, he'd be like, Joe, when are you going to throw the quarters in? When are you going to throw the quarters in? And he'd be like, soon, children, very soon. <laughs> so like, and then he would get like his, his minions, his closest followers and they would like help him throw the quarters in and it was just mass chaos when he would throw the quarters there were kids everywhere just like diving down to the deep end uh fighting over these quarters in the pool and as a lifeguard i i loved it because if i was on break i would get in on the action too you know i was a 17 year old kid at the time i wasn't too proud to be diving in the pool after some quarters uh you know that was a nice little tip on on my lifeguard job and and so like that went on for a few weeks he would he would throw those quarters in the pool and it was just mass chaos. And the thing is, whenever Crazy Joe was at the pool, we had an increase in attendance that day. So I think what was going on was that kids would be at the pool and Crazy Joe would show up and they would like go and text all their friends, call all their friends, be like, yo, he's here. We about to get paid. So let's 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 call let's let's call up all our friends, let them know that Joe's here. And then Joe, Crazy Joe realizes like, hey, the lifeguards like this too. So we would have like 15 minute breaks a couple times a day. And during those breaks, we would we would let Joe into the pool area and we would have a special lifeguard round of, of you know, he would throw a couple rolls of quarters for just for us. What a guy. What a guy. And then after a few weeks of that, uh, it wasn't every single day. But it was like a couple times a week that he would come up there. After, after he got tired, he got bored of, of the quarters, he created a new game. And this is where he got really creative. He showed up with like a Walmart sack full of bouncy balls. You know, like those little gumball machine bouncy balls that you just find in like, you know, a Walmart vending machine. And this is his new game. And what he would do is he would just grab those bouncy balls by the handful and throw those in the pool. He would bounce them off of walls. He would bounce them, you know, 50 feet off the ground and up in the sky and they would come back into the pool. And once again, it was just like every man for himself. You go out, you get as many bouncy balls as you can and you return them to Crazy Joe. And each bouncy ball, like depending on like what color or type it was, Joe had a system in his head. And to this day, I'm not sure if this dude was like some kind of like weird, crazy genius to where he actually had a system or if he just saw your bouncy balls and was just just like made up a system right there on the spot. Be like, oh, these are worth nothing. I'll give you a quarter for this one, a dollar for this one, five bucks for this one, whichever. He did have one ball that had a picture of like a hundred dollar bill inside of it. And that was the that was what was known as the money ball. (laughs) And Crazy Joe would only throw the money ball. (laughs) once a day (laughs) and that ball was worth 20 bucks 
if so if you re- took that ball, redeemed it back to Crazy Joe, he would give you a $20 bill. Well, one day, I'm sitting in the pool office while a couple of the other lifeguards are on duty, and I hear Joe announce, it is time for another round. <laughs> so, of course, I get up out of that office, and I'm outside, and, and I have one mission in mind, that money ball. Because I could go around, exhaust myself, collect 10, 15 bouncy balls, maybe get paid like, you know, 10, 12 bucks. Or if I keep my eye out for that money ball, go straight for it and get paid 20 bucks. Nice little tip right there. And so I'm, I'm standing out by the shallow end and I just see crazy Joe. He's bouncing stuff off walls. He's bouncing it off the ground. Kids are going insane. They're pushing, they're screaming. They're diving to the bottom of the deep end because some of the, some of the balls sank, some of them floated. So they're it's mass chaos. And as I see Crazy Joe throwing out all these bouncy balls, I look, and about 10 feet from the edge, right where I'm standing, the money ball is floating, just bobbing up and down. Because there's some waves in that pool. Because kids are jumping in. There's like thousands of kids there. No, not thousands. Just kidding. But like, I, I see that money ball. And it's, it's one of those moments in life where there's just so much that runs through your head. Of like, oh, this is my... Because it wasn't just about getting the 20 bucks. It was also about the prestige of being like, oh, that's the guy that found the money ball today. You know, I wanted that. I wanted that <laughs> so bad. So I see that. I see it. It's floating out there like my dreams are about to become reality if I can just get it. Right? So I see there's a couple of obstacles in my way. There's a kid between me and the money ball. If I jump to where if I jump into the water to where the kid is still between me and the money ball and I have to go around him, it's going to be too late. So that kid's going to snatch it up. So I made a decision right there in the moment. I'm going to have to jump over this kid. <laughs> and this kid was a few feet from the edge. And in my mind, I'm like, I may not make it. I may land right on top of this kid, but it's worth the risk. So I get a running start and I'm booking it, booking it towards the edge of the pool. And I jump and I just clear this kid. And I'm underwater at this point. And I open my eyes underwater and I look up and I see the money ball still a few feet away from me. And I see a, a, a kid, another kid, hand extended, going up towards the surface. And I'm just like, oh no, this is my chance. So with everything I've got, every ounce of muscle in my leg, every ounce of determination that I can conjure up in my will, I shoot myself off the ground of the pool with my legs and I slowly see my hand extend beyond this kid's hand. This kid's hand is six inches away from that ball when I finally overtake his position. I reach up and I grab that money ball and I hold on tight. I pull it back into my chest because, you you know, when you got those, those bouncy balls, especially those money balls, people try to take them away from you. It was a cutthroat game out there. It was a cutthroat world at Comanche City Pool when Crazy Joe was there. So I, got, I get that ball. That's the only ball I have in my hand. That's the only ball that I need. I tuck it into my chest, discreetly swim out on the shallow end, get out, watch the chaos unfold. As all the kids are, are clawing and fighting for these bouncy balls and they're still looking for that money ball, but I know that I have the money ball. So when the round is over, Crazy Joe takes his seat at the picnic table. He gets his quarters and his dollar bills and his fives and his $20 bill in front of him. And we line up and one by one, he pays kids out like some kids get 
a dollar. Some kids get like four bucks. Some kids get like 25 cents. Some kids that would pass through. I guess these are the ones that he didn't like. He'd just be like, yeah, none of those are worth anything. <laughs> just send them on their way. But I step up. I step up to the picnic table with Crazy Joe at it. And I show him that money ball. It's the only one I've got. But it's the only one I need. He hands me a crisp $20 bill <laughs> in exchange for that ball. Most memorable day ever at Comanche City Pool. <laughs> Crazy Joe, later that summer, uh, he had a, uh, like I said, he was 19, 20 years old. He had a little girlfriend that was a little too young for him, and uh, he went away for a while. Let's just say that. <laughs> so I never saw him again after, after that summer, but man, what a summer it was. All right, thank you guys for being here today. Uh, that I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, maybe one of the more enjoyable episodes to record, just as I'm sitting here right now. Just Man, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but we made it to the end of May. The best month of the year is coming to a close, which is kind of sad. But the month of June is amazing. Uh, I had the gauntlet of travel in the month of May. And quite honestly, I thought, you know what? There's going to be at least one week in May where we just don't have a show. But here we are. We made it all the way to the end. Looking forward to summer series that starts next week. Going to go back theologically, talk about eschatology, end of the world, end time stuff, y'all. You don't want to miss any of it. Thank you so much for being here. For now, that's all the evangelical filth I've got for you. That's a wrap and that's a frat snap. Next time, I promise I'll do just a little bit better later. Later.